All right, guys. Welcome to Young Adults tonight. My name is Austin, by the way. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at the church, oversee our Young Adults ministry. If you are new tonight, I would love the chance to meet you, would love to get to know you, so don't hesitate to come introduce yourself and would love to chat with you after the service. Uh, We are in the middle of a book series right now, so take out your Bibles and join me in the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If you need a Bible, raise a hand. We've got a couple gentlemen coming down the aisles now with Bibles. You're going to need it tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. While you're turning there, just to kind of summarize where we've been the past couple of weeks. Um... It is probably no mystery to you that we need wisdom in this world. I mean, you can turn your TV on and just see the confusion and chaos of our, of our world. People are confused on topics such as sexuality, uh, parenting, politics, money. And so what do we need as, especially believers, as the local church, more than anything, to discern our way through this world? We need wisdom. We need wisdom, and not wisdom from this world, uh, not wisdom um, in the eyes of man, uh, but we need a divine wisdom from above. We need wisdom from the Lord. And so that is our effort as we make our way through the book of 1 Corinthians to get wisdom. And so we've been going through a series called Be Wise, Be Wise, and the reason uh, why I've entitled it this series, uh, Be Wise, is because Paul mentions the word wisdom or wise, or some derivative uh, thereof, uh, 30 times in this book, in the book of 1 Corinthians, 30 times in just 16 chapters. 27 of those times is used in just the first three chapters. So wisdom is a very important topic within this study. So our theme verse is out of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7, and it says, Wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom, though it cost all you have, get understanding. And so as practice, as habit, I'd love for us to say this aloud on three. One, two, three. Wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom, though it cost all you have, get understanding. And so the Bible obviously encourages us to seek and pursue after wisdom. And we need wisdom in this day and age, especially in our generation, more than anything to discern our way through different topics of life. And Paul addresses um, and is going to encourage us to get wisdom in several different areas. We're going to touch on these areas, how to be wise with money, how to be wise in, in our relationships. And we're going to touch on those later as we make our way through this study in 1 Corinthians. Uh, but for tonight, um, we're going to continue in our Be Wise series, and it is Be Wise in Your Calling. This is our first Be Wise principle. Be Wise in Your Calling. This was uh, where we started two weeks ago when we launched. Be Wise in Your Calling. And the first uh, sub-point from this principle was to be wise in your calling, and we are called to be holy. We are called to be holy. Because the Corinthian church was messed up. All right, they were Christians, they were saved. Paul refers to them all throughout this book as brothers and sisters in the Lord, but they were messed up because they were adopting the principles and the practices of the culture around them. They were having sex outside of marriage, they were getting drunk at communion, how weird is that? They were dividing and they were quarreling with one another, and Paul says, listen, this cannot be, you are a holy people. In verse 2, he calls them saints. He says, you're a, you're a holy people because of what Jesus has done for you, not because of what we've done for ourselves, but when you come into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, 
The beauty of that is that God now sees you as he sees his son. He sees you as holy. He sees you as righteous. So positionally before God, you are a holy people. But their practice wasn't matching their position. Their practice, their behavior, their actions weren't matching their position before God. And Paul says, this is, this is not right. Your practice, your actions, your behavior has to match and, and correlate with your position. Positionally before God, you're a holy people because of what Jesus has done for you on the cross. But practically, you're not practicing uh, the ways of wisdom in the Lord. You're practicing the ways of the world. They look just like the world. So Paul first says, listen, before we dive into your dirt, we got to remind you who you are. You're a holy people, therefore live holy. So that was two weeks ago. Last week, be wise in your calling when it comes to fellowship. We are called into fellowship. And this is what Paul mentions um, in verse 9, where he says, we are called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. And the word fellowship is the word koinonia in the Greek. And it means this intimacy, this companionship, or this camaraderie that we are to have with one another in the Lord. Because the Corinthian church was, were, was divided. They were fighting. And it was really a silly thing that Paul calls them out on. They were following other men who were leaders in the church. And so they were saying, well, I follow Paul. Well, another group was saying, well, I follow Peter. And another group was saying, well, I follow Apollos, who was another leader in the church. And Paul says, listen, why are you... Uh, why are you holding us to some regard higher than yourselves? We're just, we're just mere servants. We're just mere men like you. But we shouldn't be divided by this. We should be united in the Lord. And he, and he mentions the cross. He says, the unifying source of our fellowship is the cross of Christ. And we talked last week about the importance of fellowship. How fellowship can produce three things. Um, accountability, when we continue to fellowship with one another. Accountability, investability, the opportunity to invest in the lives of each other and maturity, the opportunity to mature and to grow with one another in the Lord uh, when we are faithful to fellowship with one another. And I mentioned uh, the redwood trees, the redwood forest in California. Uh, those trees are, are massive trees. Uh, they can grow up to 300 feet uh, tall. And the reason is because they grow in groves. And their roots are all connected and intertwined with one another. So that gives them the capability to grow as large as they are. And in the same way, we need to be wise and understand that our fellowship is going to be cultivated. The more we get to hang out with one another, the more we get to connect with one another, the more we get to be intertwined with one another, if you will. Therefore, it will produce maturity. Accountability, investability, and maturity. That's what we discussed last week. And Paul calls us to the importance of staying faithful in fellowship with one another, and there is wisdom found in that. So tonight, that was just a brief synopsis of what we went through just to catch you up to speed. If you haven't been with us tonight, we're going to see the third and final aspect of our calling, and uh, we're going to find it in verse 26. So I hope you're there. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 26, Paul is going to tell us something else that we're called to. Starting in verse 26 of chapter 1, For you see your calling, circle that word, calling, For you see your calling, brethren, brothers, sisters, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world And the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. 
But of, but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, that, as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Let's pause there and pray, and then we'll dissect this passage tonight. Lord, we come before you, God, and we are in desperate need of your wisdom, Lord. And so, just as uh, the book of James calls us to do, Lord, we call on your wisdom, Uh, We need your wisdom, Lord, to navigate through uh, the confusing times of our world, Lord. So we pray that you would minister your wisdom to us, Lord, that you would give us fresh eyes to see what you're doing, Lord, that you would give us a fresh mind and a fresh heart, Lord, to be open to your wisdom and to disregard the wisdom that this world attempts to offer us, Lord. So as we go through 1 Corinthians tonight, I pray that you would just speak to us through the power of your word, Lord, that your word would not return void. I pray that you would... Open our hearts, Lord, and uh, we just look forward to what you have for us tonight, Lord. So we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. So what is the third and final aspect to our calling? Paul mentions it. We are called to glorify God. We are called to glorify God. Look at verse 26 with me. For you see your calling, brothers, that not many wise, according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Okay, so pause with me there. So Paul essentially, what what is Paul saying here? Well, Paul basically is saying, listen, Corinthian church, you're you're not an impressive bunch. Okay, you're not that bright and you're not that smart. And so he kind of calls them out here and he, he just lets them know just straight up, listen, in the eyes of the world, you're not very wise. In the eyes of the world, you're not very mighty. And in the eyes of the world, you're not very noble. And yet the Lord has still called you. Yet the Lord has still called you. And and looking on at verse 27 and 28. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things, or your translation might say, the lowly things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. So this is what God chooses. Uh, that, that, that wasn't the, the appropriate, appropriate slide. Might have skipped one there. Uh, I need the slide that says God chooses foolish things and weak things. This is what God chooses. Essentially what, what, what Paul is saying to the Corinthian church. He says, listen, you're okay because God doesn't choose the wise things of this world. God doesn't choose uh, the, the noble things of this world. God chooses the foolish things. God chooses uh, the, the, the weak things, and God chooses the lowly things to put to shame all of those things that are mighty, all of those things that are strong. So God chooses foolish things, Paul says, of the world. God chooses the weak things of the world to put to shame those things that are mighty. And God chooses the lowly things of the, of the world and the despised things. Foolish, weak, lowly, and despised. Have you guys ever felt like that? Can you guys relate to that list? God chooses the foolish things, God chooses the weak things, God chooses the lowly things. If you have ever felt like that in life, awesome, because you are exactly the person that God is looking to use. If you have ever felt that way, foolish according to the world, weak according to the world, lowly according to worldly standards, you're exactly the person that God is looking to use. And so don't fret over your foolishness, over your weakness, if you've ever been despised, because God is looking to accomplish good and, and a, incredible things 
through that person. And look at verse 20, 29. Why does he choose to use these things? Why does he choose to use these things? That no flesh, verse 29, that no flesh should glory, or your translation might say boast, in his presence. That no flesh should boast in his presence. So, why does God choose to use the foolish things of the world, the weak things of the world, the despised or the lowly things of the world, according to our worldly standards, so that we can give him all of the glory, so that we cannot boast in ourselves, but that we can boast in the Lord. Because here's the thing. If someone were to attempt to accomplish great things in this life, which I hope you do. It's a great and noble thing to, to, to attempt to make a difference in your world. However, if your mindset is that I can accomplish these great things in life because I am great, because I can do great things, because I am strong, because I am extraordinary, God is not looking to use that person. And in fact, when someone sets out in life with that attitude, God won't receive the glory because you yourself and others around you will attest your accomplishments and your success to you, to that individual, and not to the Lord. If, however, though, the reverse side of that thing, if you attempt to accomplish great things for the Lord in your weaknesses and you realize your inadequacy, you're exactly the person that the Lord is looking to use because the glory and the praise won't go to you, but it will go to its proper and rightful place. It will go to the Lord. And so if you realize your own inadequacy, if you realize just how weak and how lowly and, and how foolish sometimes you feel, according to worldly standards, of course, I'm not saying that we should attempt to make foolish decisions, but according to the world, Christians are seen as foolish, Christians are seen as weak, Christians are seen as lowly, and sometimes we're seen as despised. That's exactly who God is looking to use because therefore the glory and our boasting will go to its proper place in the Lord and not in ourselves. And then Paul quotes in verse 31, he quotes from the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 9, he says that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. So how do we glorify God? How do we glorify God? We recognize our own inadequacies. How will we attempt to glorify God in everything that we say and in everything that we do? It is okay to recognize your own inadequacies. A lot of times we try to suppress our inadequacies. We try to hide our weaknesses. But I'm telling you to do the reverse of that and actually bring those things to light. Recognize your own inadequacies. Because recognizing our inadequacy is actually the beginning of our, 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 our very salvation. We need to recognize our own inadequacy when we first come to the Lord. When we first come to God through Jesus Christ, the very beginning point is to recognize that we are not adequate in and of ourselves to save ourselves. Because the lie of our culture will tell you that, oh, all I have to do is, is good works, and my good works, if my good works outweigh my bad works, then I'll be good with, with God, then I'll be saved. But that is not true. That is a lie of our culture because in essence, what you are essentially saying is that I am adequate in and of myself to save myself. But that's not what the Bible teaches. In Romans chapter three, Paul says that there is no one good, no, not one. No one does good. And in Ephesians two, Paul says salvation is a gift. He says we're saved by grace through faith. It is a gift of God, not of good works so that no one can boast. So it actually is a healthy thing to recognize our inadequacy, and that's the beginning point of our salvation. We have to recognize in and of ourselves we are not adequate to be made right with God, 
on our own. And so that is the beginning of our very salvation. Salvation's a gift. You can't earn a gift. It's not something that you can strive for. The definition of a gift is something that is freely offered. But we have to exercise then our free will, receive this gift, and then live in that reality. So inadequacy is a good thing, especially when coming from the standpoint of your own salvation. I have to recognize that I'm, I'm an inadequate person to be saved before the Lord, to know that Jesus was adequate on my behalf. It starts by recognizing your own inadequacy, glorifying God. It's okay to recognize your inadequacy. When we, when we recognize just how inadequate we are, it actually opens our hearts and it opens our minds to allow God to then work through us and to allow God's adequacy to prove how He can be strong in our lives on our behalf and so that we can boast in Him, so that we can glory in Him. Here's a great Bible story, and many of you are familiar with this story, to kind of help just hit this home and help illustrate this. Moses, in Exodus chapter 3. Moses was a very inadequate guy. Exodus chapter 3, many of you know this story. God comes to Moses within a burning bush, and Moses was living prior to this time in a very prominent place in Egypt, uh, second in command only to Pharaoh. He kills an Egyptian dude. He then escapes, runs away, because now the Egyptian army is after him. Moses then hides, and he's living in a desert called Midian, and he's hiding there for 40 years. At the end of those 40 years, God appears to Moses within a burning bush, and he says, listen, Mo, what I want you to do is I need you to go back to Egypt. I need you to go back to where you came from. And I need you to actually free your Israelite slaves from the bondage uh, of Egypt. And, and Moses, I mean, he's freaked out by this. He says, listen, I, I don't know what you think I can do. And I don't know who you think I am. But I can tell you straight up right now, I cannot do this. I can't do this. And Lord says, yeah, yeah, you're, you're going to do this. And he says, Lord, I, I can't. And he asks a series of questions. He raises an objection, and then he makes a suggestion to God. And I love this. He says, firstly, who am I, Lord, that you would choose to use me? Who am I? And then he says, he asks, and, and who are you, God? Who, who are you? I mean, when I go to these people, what if they don't believe me? What if they don't believe that God sent me to free the Israelite people? What if nobody believes me? And then he raises an objection he says, yeah, I, I can't do this. And then he makes a suggestion to God, which you should never do. You should never make suggestions to God because it's, it's basically implying that God's made a mistake. And he suggests to God, listen, I got an idea, God. Why don't you just send somebody else? Why don't you send somebody else to do this, to do this work? Because I'm not the right guy. And God says, no, you, you're the guy I'm calling. And so I love the fact that Moses feels inadequate. That's the general sense we get from Exodus chapter 3, that Moses felt completely inadequate for the task that God was calling him to do. And Moses voices his inadequacies to justify why he won't go forward with what God is calling him to do. And I know in my own life, and I'm sure that you guys can relate to this, we do the very same thing. When God is calling you to do something, there have been so many opportunities where I've questioned the Lord. Lord, are, are you sure that you're calling me to do this? Who am I to, to do this, Lord? And what if when I go to my work or what if when I go to school and I tell about your son Jesus, what if they don't believe me? What if they think I'm a freak? What if they think, what if they think I'm an idiot? What if they, they despise me, they hate me? And what I love about God's response is five words. He doesn't 
build Moses up on the basis of who Moses is, but he points to his own character. He points to, to God's character. And he essentially says five words, I will be with you. I will be with you. And oh, how often times we present these same questions, these same objections, and we make these same suggestions to God. God, I feel and I sense that you're calling me to do this. I don't think I'm the right person for this. But what I love about God's response is he never feeds us this self-help stuff. Jeremiah felt inadequate. Gideon in Judges chapter 6, he felt inadequate. God's response was the same to all of them. I will be with you. He never feeds them this self-help stuff. Moses, no, you're the guy for this. You're good looking. You've got great wit about you. You can speak. You can communicate well. He doesn't build Moses up on the basis of who Moses is, but he builds Moses up on the basis of who he is, who God is. I will be with you. And when you feel inadequate to your calling in this life, Always remember, I will be with you. I will be with you. Because it's never about who we are. In our seeking after wisdom to glorify God, it is never about who we are in and of of ourselves. It is always about who God is in and through us. Colossians says in Colossians 1, It is Christ Jesus in you, the hope of glory. And he says in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God, not that we are adequate in and of ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our adequacy comes from God. And Paul again says in 2 Corinthians 12, but Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your strength, no, in your weakness. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, and I love this, this is what Paul says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. It is never about who we are. It is never about what we can accomplish on our own. It is never about our own strength because our adequacy is found in the Lord. And when we pursue great things in life, Looking to fulfill things based on our own adequacy, we will always fail, we will always fall short. But when we look to pursue great things for the Lord with our eyes fixed on how can I glorify you, God, even though I feel inadequate for the task, he will always prove how powerful and mighty he is in and through us. He will fill his inadequacy in our lives when we feel most inadequate to accomplish something. So this is, this is what I'd like you to mentally do. I feel like an inadequate blank. I want you to mentally fill in the blank. I feel like an inadequate son. I feel like an inadequate daughter. I feel like an inadequate mother. I feel like an inadequate employee. I feel like an in- inadequate Christian. Fill in the blank mentally and then process that and then say, good, because God is my adequacy. God is my adequacy. Recognize how powerful the Lord can be when you recognize your inadequacy. So how should I respond when I feel inadequate? 
First thing is to recognize that my adequacy is not found within myself, but it's found in the Lord. How should I respond in life? Because there's going to be so many moments in life where we feel inadequate. How should I respond? Well, the first thing is to recognize that my inadequacy cannot be found within myself, but my adequacy is found in the Lord. So recognize where your adequacy, your, your adequacy comes from. And what I love about the Lord is He doesn't ask us to measure up before He chooses to use us. He loves our inadequacies. He takes our inadequacies because then He can prove on our behalf how strong He actually is. And the second thing is to recognize that God can handle anything that He calls me to. Recognize that God is bigger than what He calls you to. So I don't know what He's called you to in life. Maybe He's called you to, to do something great. Maybe He's called you to, to, to be a, a good son, an obedient child. Maybe He's called you to be a good mom. Maybe He's called you to be a good dad. Maybe He's called you just to be a good and faithful employee. Whatever that might be, recognize that whatever God's called you to, He's bigger so recognize whatever God's called you to in life, though it might be intimidating, though it might, though it might be scary, God can handle it. So give it to him, trust him. Because we will respond to our inadequacies, our feelings of inadequacies in, in one of two ways. Our inadequacies, our feelings of inadequacy can either cripple us or they can drive us to the Lord. We can either allow our inadequacies, our feelings of inadequacy to cripple us Because when we look at our inadequacies, when we look at our weaknesses in light of who we are, we will, it'll always cripple us. We'll never be able to move forward. But if you look at your inadequacies and your shortcomings and your weaknesses in light of who God is, a big, powerful, all creating God, there will always be competency. So you can either allow your inadequacy to drive you to do two things, either drive you to be paralyzed and crippled and you can't even move forward in your calling, or you can allow it to drive you to the Lord when you recognize that God can handle anything that he calls you to. Inadequacy, if you think about it, can actually be one of the best blessings in your life. It can be actually a very healthy thing if you respond properly to it. And sometimes I believe that the Lord actually allows us to have feelings of inadequacy to help us to learn where our adequacy actually comes from. The Lord sometimes, I'm convinced, He's allowed me in life to feel inadequate. Because when I feel inadequate, it drives me to understand where my adequacy actually comes from. Because if I go through this life thinking that I'm adequate in and of myself, I'll never learn to base my life on the Lord and His adequacy. I'll only be looking to accomplish things based on my own strengths. The Lord wants to strip us of that kind of a mindset to come before Him and say, I want you to be adequate in my life because in and of myself, I can't do, it. I can't do this. I can't be this person. I can't, I can't be a Christian that properly glorifies you until I come to the bottom of myself and realize I'm an inadequate person in and of myself. So it's actually a healthy thing that could potentially drive you to the Lord. It's okay to recognize your inadequacy. Not so that we can sulk in it. Not so that we can complain in it. Not so that we can feel like failures. But so that it can drive us to understand that the Lord is our adequacy. And so that we can fulfill our calling to glorify God who chooses to use the foolish things, the weak things, the lowly things, and the despised things. And if you've ever felt like that, you're exactly the person the Lord wants to use. And so boast in your weaknesses, for then 
it will boast in the Lord and not ourselves. I just want to close by reading um, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, or sorry, 1 Corinthians. We're still in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And this is what, what Paul says. He continues. He says in verse, verses 1 through 5, And I, brothers, when I came to you, so this is Paul talking to the Corinthian church. When I came to you, Corinthians, I did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul realized when he came to the Corinthians at first, when he planted that church, he said, I stripped myself of thinking that I was important, that I was strong, that I was wise in and of myself. All I did was preach Christ crucified. The Lord took care of the rest. Be wise in your calling. Understand that we are called to glorify God in everything that we say and do. The Westminster Shorter Catechism. Um, it was a document written late 1600s, 1646, I want to say. Um, it was a document written by English and, and Scottish theologians. And uh, I love this quote from, from that document. It says that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And may we say the same thing when we real, realize our adequacy is found in God and not within myself. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Let's pray. Lord, our ambition in this room is to glorify you in everything that we say and do. And so I, I pray for everyone in this room, Lord. Anyone who might be feeling inadequate, anyone who might be feeling weak, anyone who might be feeling low, anyone who feels despised, Lord, you choose to use those things because it glorifies you. And so, Lord, I can be the first to say that that's me, Lord. And I pray for everyone in this room, Lord, who might just be going through a time where they feel like they're not enough, where they feel inadequate for a task, where they feel inadequate for a job, where they feel inadequate just in everyday life. Lord, fill us with your adequacy. Help us to know where our adequacy comes from. It's not from within ourselves, but it's found in you. So strengthen us in you. Give us wisdom in you. Lord, make us strong in you so that we can boast, not in our own works, but that we can, in everyday life, we can boast in you because we know where our power comes from. We know where our strength comes from. We know where our adequacy comes from. It comes from you and your son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins and rose again. And your word says that the same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in us. So Lord, use us, fill us, Lord, with your Holy Spirit to accomplish great things for you. Not because of who we are, but because of who you are. Use us and fill us with your adequacy, with your competency, with your strength. Give us your wisdom, Lord. 
and may we always fix our eyes on the goal of glorifying you in everything that we say, in everything that we do, Lord. Our ambition is to bring you glory. So I pray that you would use this group, Lord, that you would use the young adult ministry to accomplish amazing things because of who you are. So we look forward to that, Lord. We expect that. And we pray that you would fill us with the power of your Holy Spirit. We love you, Lord. Thank you for 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Pray that you would help us to be wise as we continue to make our way through this book. Give you all glory and praise tonight. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen.